And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Hey listeners, this is Nick from Scripture Central, and today's podcast addresses the question, why did Christ appear to two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Shortly after Jesus' resurrection, still relatively few had seen the risen Lord or heard the news that he was indeed risen from the grave. The first witnesses to the resurrection were women who went to the tomb early in the morning, and they, when they returned from the sepulcher, they told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. Among these disciples who were with the remaining eleven apostles, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus. As they traveled, they talked together of all these things which had happened, and communed together and reasoned about what they had both seen in the past few days and what they had heard from the women earlier that day. As Kent Brown observes, the point of discussion between the two disciples, of course, has to do with the empty tomb, the fact of which they and the others cannot fathom. Furthermore, the verb translated as reasoned carries a dual meaning of to discuss and to dispute or debate. As such, while the two disciples were traveling to Emmaus, it is possible that their discussion entailed lively debates regarding how to make sense of the persistent report from the women and Jesus' unforeseen death. It was during this time that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Beginning with this statement, Luke begins to emphasize the reality of Jesus' resurrection through the deliberate use of witnesses to Jesus' physical presence. Using an emphatic pronoun translated as himself, Luke uses a verb that underscores the approaching experience as both a designed disclosure to the two disciples and a planned part of his resurrection appearances. Like the other gospel accounts, Luke is adamant to point out how many people from varying backgrounds testified of the Savior's resurrection to demonstrate the authenticity of this miracle of miracles. However, the disciples did not recognize him at first. Luke records that their eyes were holden that they should not know him, implying a continual restraining of sight by someone else, namely God. Significantly, the Joseph Smith translation of this verse adds that the disciples' eyes were holden or covered. As such, it appears that these two disciples were not yet ready to behold the resurrected Lord in his full glory, rather viewing him as though through a veil instead. When asked why these disciples were sad, they told Jesus that they had actually been pondering on him and his ministry. In their response, one can sense the frustrations that they were experiencing as they tried to grapple with everything that had just happened. Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said. But him they saw not. Implicit in their words, Brown observed, lies an incorrect widespread notion that the Messiah is to carry out an expected deliverance from Roman captivity. 
In fact, the verb translated as should have redeemed, employed by these two disciples, has to do with Jesus rescuing Israel as a people by military might rather than him paying a ransom for sins or paying a price to bring about salvation, as in other passages. Relying on these mistaken notions of who the Christ would be undoubtedly was a leading cause in simply identifying him now as a prophet mighty in word and deed, yet are unable to recognize their misplaced ideas with recent events. Jesus, however, responds by an appeal to the scriptures. O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory, and begin at Moses and all the prophets, and expound unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself? Significantly, it is here that the two disciples' understanding of the scriptures takes on new meaning. Finally, able to grasp the true meaning of many scriptures, Jesus thereby corrected these false misunderstandings and taught them how to properly recognize him in the scriptures. Finally, once the three enter Emmaus, the two disciples were so moved that they invited Jesus to spend the night with them. Having entered the home of one of the two disciples, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them in an evening meal. This scene evokes imagery of the Last Supper and the institution of the sacrament, which was to be performed in remembrance of Jesus. Brown observes, although the Savior does not speak words that turn the meal into the sacrament, the meal becomes sacramental or holy in character because of who he is. Having just heard Jesus preach from the scriptures and now receiving a symbol of his crucified and resurrected body, their eyes were opened and they knew him. They were now able to discern the full glory and presence of the Lord, becoming two important witnesses to the reality of his glorious resurrection. Having now learned the true nature of the Messiah and seen him with their eyes, they could effectively go out and spread his gospel. One of the greatest challenges many early Christians experienced during this time was grappling with their own previous expectations of who the Messiah would be with what they had personally experienced. Like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, many initially believed that Jesus would come first and foremost as a conqueror who would claim the Davidic throne and redeem Israel from Roman rule. As such, they were understandably left confused when Jesus willingly allowed himself to be crucified by wicked men, even though Jesus had frequently prophesied about his death and resurrection. Rather than fulfill the militaristic expectations of many of the Jewish population, Jesus first came as the conqueror, not of Rome, but of death and sin. Not to be confused with prophecies of Christ's millennial reign, Jesus makes it clear that all of the prophets that have ever lived testified of him. In short, all of the scriptures are focused on Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice. Such a hope is expressed clearly in the Book of Mormon. And we talk of Christ, Nephi recorded. We rejoice in Christ. We preach of Christ. We prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies, that our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. Just as Nephi's entire view of the scriptures had dramatically shifted as he saw a vision of the Savior, so too did the ancient disciples in the old world begin to understand the fullness of the scriptures as they talked with and saw the resurrected Jesus. Modern readers of the scriptures will occasionally have to follow the example of these two disciples. As we each come to the Lord with our own viewpoints and ideas, we can look to their example for the humility to put aside our own ideas 
in favor for the truth of the gospel. As we study the scriptures, we can come to know Jesus Christ and His will more fully. And like the disciples at Emmaus, we too will be able to ask, did not our heart burn within us? As we approach the Lord in all sincerity of heart. Thank you for listening to this presentation from Scripture Central. For more information, please visit scripturecentral.org.